In time of silver rain, the earth puts forth new life again. Green grasses grow, and flowers lift their heads, and over all the plain, the wonder spreads. Of life, of life, of life. In time of silver rain, the butterflies lift silken wings to catch a rainbow cry, and trees put forth new leaves to sing, in joy beneath the sky, as down the roadway, passing boys and girls, go singing too. Time of silver rain, when spring and life are new. Langston Hughes, In Time of Silver Rain Inside the shimmer, the women do not know where they are, and do not remember setting up camp. Calm and nav equipment are not working, but Shepard has demonstrated how to find south, to head for the ocean. This minute begins, angled on Ventress, but immediately reverses. Thornton is close to Shepard again, Lena is framed separately, and Radic is as well, still crouched down. Dr. Ventress, continued. Let's, Let's pack, up pack up and, and get, get moving. moving. Reverse, close on Ventress, second three. Dr. Ventress, continued. We've already we lost, lost a lot of the day. day. The script specifies that it's ten o'clock. She turns and begins to head toward her own tent, and we cut to close on Lena, second six. She watches Ventress leave, lingers, licks her lower lip, and starts to move. Familiar guitar comes back into the score. Lena turns and begins to head to the left, and we cut to close on Thornton, second eleven. She still looks toward Ventress, then she turns her attention downward, something in her hands. But we cut to medium shot Radic, second fourteen, as Lena passes in front of her from right to left. Radic cleans her glasses with a small cloth. She looks up as Lena passes, but no higher really than Lena's feet. She finishes cleaning her glasses and puts them back then twirls that cloth around her right index finger and looks more in the direction Lena has gone, left of frame. Shepard does not get one of these lingering shots, but surely she too is hesitant to just pack up and march. They do not know where they are, have a general idea where they might be able to go, but have no idea what awaits them. From the Drowned World by J.G. Ballard, where our lead is Robert Cairns. Lena's last name in the script, of course, is Cairns. Quote, Correct. Botkin strolled off among the benches. During the last three years, Robert, you and I have examined something like 5,000 species in the animal kingdom, seen literally tens of thousands of new plant varieties. Everywhere the same pattern has unfolded, countless mutations completely transforming the organisms to adapt them for survival in the new environment. 
Everywhere there's been the same avalanche backwards into the past, so much so that the few complex organisms which have managed to retain a foothold unchanged on the slope look distinctly anomalous. A handful of amphibians, the birds, and man. It's a curious thing that although we've carefully cataloged the backward journeys of so many plants and animals, we've ignored the most important creature on this planet. Karen's laughed. I'll willingly take a small bow there, Alan. But what are you suggesting that Homo sapiens is about to transform himself into Cro-Magnon and Java Man and ultimately into Synanthropus? Unlikely, surely. Wouldn't that merely be Lamarckism in reverse? Agreed. I'm not suggesting that. Bogan leaned against one of the benches, feeding a handful of peanuts to a small marmoset caged in a converted fume cupboard. Though obviously, after two or three hundred million years, Homo sapiens might well die out and our little cousin here becomes the highest form of life on the planet. However, the biological process isn't completely reversible. He pulled the silk handkerchief out of his pocket and flicked it at the marmoset, which flinched away tremulously. If we return to the jungle, we'll dress for dinner. He went over to a window and gazed out through the mesh screen, the overhang of the deck above shutting out all but a narrow band of the intense sunlight. Steeped in the vast heat, the lagoon lay motionlessly. Pails of steam humped over the water like elephantine specters. But I'm really thinking of something else. Is it only the external landscape which is altering? How often recently most of us have had the feeling of deja vu, of having seen all this before, in fact of remembering these swamps and lagoons all too well. However selective the conscious mind may be, most biological memories are unpleasant ones. Echoes of danger and terror. Nothing endures for so long as fear. Everywhere in nature one sees evidence of innate releasing mechanisms literally millions of years old, which have lain dormant through thousands of generations but retained their power undiminished. The field rat's inherited image of the hawk's silhouette is the classic example. Even a paper silhouette drawn across a cage sends it rushing frantically for cover. And how else can you explain the universal but completely groundless loathing of the spider, only one species of which has ever been known to sting? or the equally surprising, in view of their comparative rarity, hatred of snakes and reptiles. Simply because we all carry within us a submerged memory of the time when the giant spiders were lethal, and when the reptiles were the planet's dominant life form. Feeling the brass compass which weighed down his pocket, Karen said, So you're frightened that the increased temperature and radiation are alerting similar IRMs in our own minds? Not in our minds, Robert. These are the oldest memories on Earth, the time codes carried in every chromosome and gene. Every step we've taken in our evolution is a milestone inscribed with organic memories from the enzymes controlling the carbon dioxide cycle to the organization of the brachial plexus and the nerve pathways of the pyramid cells in the midbrain. Each is a record of a thousand decisions taken in the face of a sudden physico-chemical crisis. Just as psychoanalysis reconstructs the original traumatic situation in order to release the repressed material, so we are now being plunged back into the archaeopsychic past uncovering the ancient taboos and drives that have been dormant for epochs. The brief span of an individual life is misleading. Each one of us is as old as the entire biological kingdom, and our bloodstreams are tributaries of the great sea of its total memory. The uterine odyssey of the growing fetus recapitulates the entire evolutionary past, and its central nervous system is coded timescale, each nexus of neurons at each spinal level marking a symbolic station, a unit of neuronic time. Further down the CNS you move from the hindbrain through the medulla into the spinal cord, the further you descend back into the neuronic past. For example, the junction between the thoracic and lumbar vertebrae between T12 and L1 is the great zone of transit between the gill-breathing fish and the air-breathing amphibians with their respiratory rib cages. 
the very junction where we stand now on the shores of this lagoon between the Paleozoic and Triassic eras. Bodkin moved back to his desk and ran his hand over the rack of records. Listening distantly to Bodkin's quiet, unhurried voice, Karen's toyed with the notion that the row of parallel black discs was a model of a neuronic spinal column. He remembered the faint drumming emitted by the record player in Hardman's cabin and its strange undertones. Perhaps the conceit was closer to the truth than he imagined. Bodkin went on. If you like, you could call this the psychology of total equivalence. Let's say neuronics for short, and dismiss it as metabiological fantasy. However, I am convinced that as we move back through geophysical time, so we re-enter the amnionic corridor and move back through spinal and archaeopsychic time, recollecting in our unconscious minds the landscapes of each epoch, each with a distinct geological terrain, its own unique flora and fauna, as recognizable to anyone else as they would be to a traveler in a Wellsian time machine except that this is no scenic railway but a total reorientation of the personality. If we let these buried phantoms master us as they reappear, we'll be swept back helplessly in the flood tide like pieces of flotsam. End quote. Second 23 cut to exterior swamp day. The script says the five women are walking in knee-deep water. It's hot, heavy backpacks, heavy weapons, hard going. It's also impossible to gauge the depth of the swamp. Thorinson suddenly steps into a hole, sinks into the black water up to her waist. Thorinson, goddammit. Lena offers Thorinson a hand. Hauls her out. Thorinson, continued. Now I know why we all got amnesia. Why would you want to remember this shithole? Thorinson marches ahead, soaked, pissed off. In the film, they simply walk, single file, toward the sun. Depending on how quickly they struck camp in the interim, the sun will have moved west and they are headed roughly south based on Shepard's direction last minute. Their marching order, Ventress, Shepard, Thornson, Raddick, Lena. We remain behind. They walk away from us. In the script, Lena and Raddick walk together briefly. Lena looks around. sees the cypress trees with their fanned-out roots, Spanish moss on the branches, dappled sunlight through the high canopy, all reflected in the glassy water. Lena turns to Raddick. Lena, I'd like to remember it. Raddick. Sure, it's beautiful. I'm not saying I'd like to go to summer home here, but the trees are actually quite lovely. They start walking again. Lena, you're a scientist too. A physicist, right? Raddick, astrophysicist, specifically the life cycle of stars. Lena, and what is the life cycle of stars? Raddick, long. Lena laughs. Lena, I do the life cycle of cells. Short. Raddick shrugs. Raddick, still a cycle. Second 34, another angle. A tree's trunk close to camera dominates the left of frame. The women pass beyond it from left to right. Camera pans right so the women are effectively walking away from us again. Second 43, angle from above on a clearing. The women not immediately visible. There's some sort of hydrant-like pipe coming out of the ground at the lower left corner of frame. Something else clearly man-made but not quite identifiable sits farther to the left under some hanging branches. The women enter the clearing from the left, starting second 46. Shepard, now in the lead. Ventress, second. Camera cranes downward slightly, and we can see that one pipe is just the highest of several, some sort of water pumping station. Second 56, reverse. The five women, Shepard, Ventress, Thorence, and Lena, Raddick, walk past those pipes from right to left. Beyond them, a swampy body of water. To the left, a half-collapsed house along a dock. Camera begins to truck left with the women, and time runs out for this minute. 
We spoke. What was it we said? Wordlessly watching, he waits by the window and wonders at the empty place inside. Thank you.